Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Well, good afternoon and welcome to Calvary Live. This is the radio call-in show where you can call in with your prayer requests, uh, call in with your questions about the Bible, uh, questions about church and church involvement, or uh, maybe you heard something at church that you didn't quite agree with and you'd want to just know if it's actually biblical or not, and uh, we can help answer that question for you. Um, I, you know, I've had people call in with questions about groups that they thought might be cults, and we've talked about those and kind of picked some of those things apart. Um, really, anything and everything pertaining to your walk with the Lord, um, to church involvement, to uh, questions about the scriptures, we would love to have the opportunity to discuss those things with you, as well as to pray for you with anything you may have going on, or if you've got somebody in your life that you need to get some prayer for, uh, we would love to be involved with that. So um, the way that you can get connected with us is by calling in or texting in. The phone number to call in is 303-690-3000. Once again, that phone number is 303-690-3000. And uh, you can call in and be on the air. We've got open lines right now. We'd love to have you call in and join us today. Uh, the way to text in is to text uh, 720-336-0897. And you can just directly text your question to that number. Once again, the text line is 720-336-0897. And the call-in line is 303-690-3000. Would love to chat with you today. Would love to answer your questions. Uh, Here in Colorado, where I am, it is a snowy day. I'm actually uh, up in the mountains of Colorado near Vail. My name is Pastor Nate Morris from Mountain Life Calvary Chapel in um, Vail, Colorado, and I'm looking out my window right now, and it is just dumping snow. Um, So we're going to get some snow here this weekend. Should be good. Um, If you have any uh, questions about me or my ministry or a church that I'm involved in here, there's a couple places you can find out that information. Uh, Mountainlife.church is the name of our church website, so mountainlife.church. Uh, it's a great way to, to find out some more information there. Uh, you can also uh, go to my personal website, which is pastornate.com. And, but I, I spell it a little bit different because domain names are kind of weird out there. So it's pastor and then the letter N followed by the number 8.com. So pastorn8.com. And uh, I've got resources there, links to my podcast and blogs and uh, a book that I wrote this last year. Would love to uh, connect with you there. But for today, um, we would love to have you call in, and I'd love to to help answer any questions you may have. So once again, the phone number to call is 303-690-3000, or the number to text in is 720-336-0897. Once again, you can call us at 303-690-3000, or you can text 720-336-0897. 
Uh, at our church, we've been going through the book of First John, which has been just a great study. Um, I love the, the way that John communicates, the way that the Holy Spirit communicates through John, uh, not only in his letters, but also in the book of John. Um, it's one of my favorite, it, it is my favorite gospel, um, but just a, a great way to, um, to, to walk through that. And then going through First John has been a great study for us as a church. And just a little nugget that I wanted to share with you from our, our message this past Sunday, we were just talking about walking in obedience to God. Um, and really like the fact that a lot of times when we feel like we are um, asked to obey God, when we feel like we're asked to uh, obey the commandments that God gives us, we feel like that's a burden on us. And if it's, as if, as if it's something that there's this expectation in order to be saved, which really there's nothing further from the truth. Um, we could never earn our way to God. We're saved by grace and grace alone. It's not by anything we could do, but by what he did on the cross. But after we're saved, our hearts should desire to obey God. See, we don't keep the commandments in order to be accepted. We keep the commandments because we are accepted. And in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, this is what it says. It says, loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. See, loving God, showing our love for God, means that we obey what he asks us to do. Jesus said it in John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Um, and the commandments that he's talking about when Jesus is speaking of the commandments or when John or one of the other apostles refer is referring to the commandments, what they're speaking of is the entire moral code of uh, particularly the New Testament, but of the scripture when you take it in context. And the, the point is that we honor God with the way that we live because we love God, because he first loved us. Uh, not as some, you know, you better do this or you're going to hell type of thing. We know that we were destined for hell on our own anyways, and Jesus stepped in and saved us because of his great love. And when we experience that incredible love, he redeems us and restores us and um, that creates in our hearts that desire to obey and that desire to keep his commandments. So if you have the opportunity, First um, John is a great, great study throughout the whole book. It's really centered on the theme of God's love for us. It also, the, the, the reason that John wrote it, he said it in the very first chapter, is that your joy may be full. He wants us to have fullness of joy. So um, yeah, so check that out. Go listen to that on uh, your Bible app if you want to or um, kind of wherever you um, get to um, study the word. So with that, we actually have full lines right now, but I'm going to go ahead and answer one of these here in just a second. So if you would like to call in with a question, uh, you can call us at 303-690-3000. Um, give it about 10 seconds here, and then we'll have one of those lines hopefully opened up for you in just a little bit. But um, we'd love to take your questions today. You can also text 720-336-0897. All right, so let's go to Jeffrey on line three. Jeffrey, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Glad you could join us. What can we do for you today? Well, in the book of Revelation, it says that the Church of Philadelphia is the only one that's found to be faithful and true, and as a result, they are kept from the hour of trial. And I was wondering where they get the word rapture out of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, Jeffrey, the word rapture itself is actually not in the scripture. Um, 
but the concept is in the scriptures. So, uh, you know, and this is something that, that, that some people have made uh, as, as a complaint. It's that the word rapture isn't in the Bible. Rapture is actually a, a, a transliteration from Latin. So, um, so when you go from the Greek then it was translated into Latin, and then they took it from Latin and made it into English. And unfortunately, I would actually rather use a different word than rapture because it, it would clear up this convert, this confusion. Um, the word is actually caught up uh, in the scriptures. So, so you see that in First Thessalonians. You see it throughout the New Testament. Um, there's a Greek word for caught up, and that's the word that it's speaking of when we're talking about the rapture. And so um, I think that... That is something that people get pretty confused about, though, because they're like, well, I don't see the word rapture in my Bible. Um, but it's not so much that the word's there, it's that the concept is there. Um, and exactly what you're talking about, that the Church, the Church of Philadelphia would be spared from the hour of trial. Um, and so I, I think the, the question becomes, are um, they spared because they just don't go through it, or are they spared because they're caught up? And that, that's really the, the thought, right? So um, when we talk about the rapture and it preceding the Great Tribulation, which is uh, my personal opinion, um, and most of the, the hosts on this program as well would hold on to that, um, that the idea is that we are spared from the wrath of God. And it says that we're not appointed to wrath, but to attain salvation. And so that's kind of the, the picture that he's talking about there uh, when you see that. D does that make sense, or uh, is your question kind of beyond that? Yes, it does. Uh, they're, they're pro we're protected by God, just like the Israelites were protected from the angel of death by the blood of the lamb that was smeared on the, on the doorpost. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a great analogy. I think that that's when it says that Jesus is our Passover lamb, um, the, the, the point that was kind of made there is that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover. So just as the blood was pa painted over the doorposts, um, the blood of Jesus is painted over our lives. And so we are saved and, and set free from that because of what Jesus did. And so as a believer and a follower of Jesus, my personal conviction um, is that th the blood of Jesus also saves me from the, the hour of trial that's coming, uh, the, the wrath of God, the judgment of God. And uh, I think that it, when we understand that, the rapture makes a lot more sense, the concept of the rapture. Again, I don't, I don't love the word because people get confused about it, uh, but the, it is there, you know, delivering us. The blood of Jesus is. That's right. And I, I'm totally with you on that. I, I agree 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Well, um, thank you for your call. I think that was a great question and we appreciate you calling in today. Thank you for taking my call. All right. You have a great day. Thanks, Jeffrey. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Uh, once again, if you'd like to call us with a question, you can call 303-690-3000, or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Looks like we've got one line open right now. Uh, I'd like to go to Jacqueline on line one. Jacqueline, welcome to the program. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? All right. My thing is on 
the book of Corinthians, I want to give some clarification as far as divorce. Sound like if I was married to my first husband and he left me within a month, he left, okay, and I remarried, said, two years later to a man I've been married for like 25 years. They say your first husband is really your husband. Your second husband is not your husband. But I come to find out that my first husband, he was married before prior to me. So who would be my husband? Yes. So this is a great question. Thank you for asking. Um, the answer is is simple and complex at the same time. There's two places that I want to turn to to kind of look to this. Um, so the the first is... 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So I think that's what you're referring to. Is that what you're talking about? Oh, Jacqueline, are you still with us? Yes, I'm here. Go oh, ahead. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I think what you're referring to is from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Is that right? Right. Yeah, okay. Um, so this is what it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'll just read a little bit so we have some context for our conversation. Um, he says this. He says in... 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Now to the married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his, his wife. And then he goes on and says in verse 12, but to the rest I, say, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let, her, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. And then he goes on into this next section in verse 15 and says, But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Okay, so this is the section that we're talking through um, discussing marriage and whether when a divorce happens, if remarriage is permitted and who are you really married to and... Um, there's a couple different ways we could go with this. There's the one of, well, I was married three times and who was I married to, you know, officially. Um, but really, when, when there's a divorce that happens, there's a breakdown in the marriage relationship, right? And so I, I don't think that you can actually say, well, I'm really still married to the first person because at that point, once you've divorced and remarried, there has been unfaithfulness to that initial marriage that took place, right? And so... Um, that, that's the case with your, hus your first husband who um, was divorced before you that you didn't know about. Um, as he entered into that relationship with you, he broke off that, he had fully broken off that relationship with his prior wife. And really what the, the point of it all is, is not who am I really married to because I was married before and, and all of that. The point is how do we act today going forward with what we're doing? And really, that's where, where these sections of Scripture that speak to marriage are, are bringing us. Um, it, it says in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, If the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. Essentially, what he's saying is, hey, you shouldn't divorce your wife. You shouldn't divorce your husband. Uh, but if your husband leaves you and they depart and they go their way and they're not willing to be reconciled and they abandon the relationship— um, you're not under that bondage in those cases. So I, I think in your case specifically, you've been remarried for 25 years. Is that what you said? Correct. 
Yeah. Should I divorce yeah. my husband, my second husband, and stay single? No, no, I, no, I, no, not at all. <laughs> um, no, I think that would be the opposite of the heart of God in this instance. Um, your your first relationship that broke down because it sounds like your your first husband abandoned you. Is that right? He he left and uh, kind yes. of walked away from the relationship. Yeah. I, I think what you what you have there is exactly what it says in First Corinthians chapter seven that he he departed, and as he departed and you moved on with your relationship, you're not under that bondage anymore. You're now connected to your husband that you have right now. Um, and, you know, th there's a, a, a portion in Scripture where Jesus is talking through this issue, not from divorce standpoint, but from a death and life standpoint, um, where, you know, if, if in Jesus's day, if a woman um, was married to a man and her husband died, then her brother, his brother would be obligated to marry her so that they could have children to pass on the family line. And so the question came to Jesus, well, what if the brother died and then the next brother died and the next brother died, that. you know? And uh -huh. then it was, Jesus, it, the question was, who is she married to in heaven, you know, in, in the kingdom, essentially in heaven, when they're all dead? And Jesus said, well, they're not married in the kingdom of heaven. And that's another question that we'll talk about another time. But marriage isn't the same in heaven as it is here. Marriage is a relationship, a covenant relationship with our spouse here on earth. It doesn't last into the next, uh, the next you know, phase of life as we go into heaven. And we, we relate to each other and to God differently there than we do here on earth. And so um, the, the the answer that Jesus gave is like, well, she's not really married to any of them in that, uh, in that instance. Um, and so for you, where you're at right now, you are married to your husband for 25 years. You had a divorce in your past, which is unfortunate, but it doesn't, it doesn't condemn the relationship that you're in now. Um, you are committed and have committed before God in this relationship, and that's the relationship that now that you're in that God would have you be committed to. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I just want to make sure because I was telling my husband, we might have to divorce after all these years. I want to live holy. Holy. Yeah. So I said, if we have to divorce, depart our way. We just have to go and we both stay single for the rest of our life. I want to be pleasing to God, you know, and I have to know this. Yeah. And I think the command that Paul that, that we see there in First Corinthians 7 is essentially he says this to discourage people from getting divorced. He says, you know, if you leave, if you just decide that you're going to walk away, essentially what your first husband did to you, if you walk away from a relationship like that, you don't get to just move on and get remarried again. It, like essentially what he's saying, if this was Paul talking to you and your first husband, he would be telling your first husband, hey, you don't get to just leave and go get remarried if you want to. If you're going to leave, you, you should be just living your life alone for the rest of your life. But in this instance, he, you're the one that was offended against. He walked away, you moved on, and I would not um, advise you to divorce now. I think that would break break not only your hearts, but God's hearts. So, um, okay. okay, I just want to know. I just want to know. I just heard what he said to the Samaritan woman. Remember at the well, he said, you've been married so many times. And then remember he told her, I know the man you with is not your husband. Send no more. I thought she was married. And he was telling her to leave him and send no more. Yeah, no, the, the, 
So when he was talking to the woman that had, had, he says, you're not married to the guy you're with now and you've had five husbands, right? <laughs> um, he, he Basically what he was doing is pointing out her pattern of sin in relationships. And she was just living with a guy. So the situation she was with right now is she was not married. She was living with a guy, which, um, and I think that is a, you know, a very clear sinful behavior. And so uh, it wasn't so much that she was married and needed to divorce. That wasn't it at all. Um, so, but thank you for calling. I appreciate your question. It's a great question and a really good um, way to just kind of evaluate that whole uh, subject. So thanks for calling in. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Bye. Have a great day. All right. Thanks for listening in today. Uh, my name is Pastor Nate Morris. I'm filling in for Pastor Ed today. And if you have questions that you'd like to call in with, you can call 303-690-3000. Uh, once again, that phone number is 303-690-3000. Or you can text 720-336-0897. Once again, you can call us today at 303-690-3000 or text 720-336-0897. Uh, we're coming up on the break here in just a couple minutes. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, let's go to Emma on line two. Emma, welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for calling in. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to say I thought it was super cool that you were talking about First John because the Lord put it on my heart uh, yesterday and the day before to memorize First uh, John 5. And so... That has just been um, on my heart recently. But my question was, in James 1, verse 6, it says, uh, But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Um, My question was, how do we ask um, in faith without any doubting? Because um, when Jesus was talking to his disciples in Luke 17, he uh, said that, even if one of you has faith the size of a mustard seed, he can move mountains. So it kind of just seems unrealistic in a sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and just on to your, on your first comment, James, first uh, John chapter five is, is really, really great. I think it's a great one to memorize. And that's actually where we're at at our church right now is going through first John chapter five. So that's awesome. Um, I love when God does little things like that. So super cool. As far as James 1 and talking about asking in faith with no doubting, uh, I think that there are a couple of things to think about here. First, faith is an action really more so than it is a feeling. So when we read about faith in the scriptures, it's talking about having faith or walking by faith or engaging in faith. Not so much uh, that we have like a feeling of faith that just wells up. Now, I believe that there is the gift of faith that um, certain people just have from the Holy Spirit and that certain people are given for a certain time by the Holy Spirit. And we all have a a measure of faith, right, that we've been given and we have the ability to walk in that. But I think that the point of what he's saying in James here is not that we would just not experience the feeling of doubt, but that we wouldn't live in the place of walking in doubt. So 
I'll give you an example from my own life. Um, so, there, you know, I, I've had, as a pastor, I've been a, a lead pastor for uh, 12 years now. And throughout that time, there's been many times that God has called me to take big steps of faith um, in church ministry and doing different things that God's called me to. And I've gotten, I've grown in that way in a lot of ways. But even just recently in my personal life, there's a couple things that God has kind of asked me to step out on in faith. Um financially and even otherwise that were really stretching for me. <laughs> I'll just say that just kind of like a big stretch, like, okay, I don't know if I'm really ready to do this. Okay, here we go, God, you know, I'm going to go. All right, here we go. And, um, and walking by faith, I, I had, let me tell you, I had in some of these things, I had some feeling of doubt to be sure. I had feeling of, okay, am I really making sure that I'm listening and following where the Lord's leading? And then even beyond that, am I really, do I really think that this is going to be, you know, what God is doing and is this going to work out? Um, I had this feeling of doubt, but yet I chose to walk by faith. Now, do you understand that? Do you understand the difference between, um, you know, walking by faith or feeling faith? Yes, I do understand that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if that makes sense to you there. I think that, um, you know, we can experience those feelings of doubt, but I think that it's really what we choose to actually do in action that that uh, is wh what we're speaking of when we talk about faith in the scripture. So w even when you don't feel it, to choose to walk by faith anyways. So, um, and I think that in the context here of James chapter one, he's saying, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all, let him ask in faith with no doubting. What he's saying is just, choose to believe God and choose to ask and know that God will give it to you. Even if you don't feel it, you just can trust that and, and choosing to make that point of trust. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for calling in. Really appreciate your question. Awesome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening in today. We're coming up here on the break in just a minute. Um, if you would like to call in with a question, we would love to talk with you about that. You can call us at 303-690-3000, or you can text 720-336-0897. And uh, we're going to go ahead and go to Anna on line three. Anna, welcome to the program. Hi, I'm Anna. Thanks for taking oh, my call. Anna, sorry. Thanks for being no, on the call. No, that's okay. Yes, hi. Uh, so I have a question on Ephesians 6.10, the whole armor of God. Mm -hmm. I am reading a book on spiritual warfare, and I am to a chapter in the book, and it lists principalities, powers of powers or authorities, rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, mm -hmm. as ranking, and that lists principalities as, like, one of the highest rankings, and then it lists spiritual wickedness in high places as the bottom okay. under Satan. To know if this ranking is correct. So what's, um, do, you, do you mind if I ask what the name of the book is that you're reading? Yeah, yeah, of course. It's called Identifying the Hierarchy of Satan. Okay. Um, so I think that there is 
we do see from scripture that there is some form of hierarchy of uh, angelic and demonic beings. We do see that. But in the scriptures, we don't see a clear delineation of what these things are. And so um, as far as what that book is telling you in that specific section in Ephesians 6, um, it's not intending to give us a hierarchy of angels and demons. Uh, what it's intending to do is to say that our battle isn't against people. Our battle is against these demonic forces, these spiritual forces in the heavenly places. The heavenly places meaning the spiritual places is what the term actually means. And um, it's just going about describing those spiritual forces. It's not giving us a, a, a list that outlines the way that they are organized by rank and order. Um, now, we know that there is a structure uh, in that Satan is the head and it kind of goes down from there. And we're coming up on the break, so let's hang out just for a minute and we're going to get back to your question here. Um, I definitely want to talk about this a little bit more. So stick around. Welcome to Calvary Live. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Welcome back to Calvary Live. I am your host for today, Pastor Nate Morris from Mountain Life Church in Vail, Colorado. I'm filling in for Pastor Ed and uh, would love to talk and answer any questions you may have, pray with you, and uh, just talk about the scripture. So if you would like to call in, you can call us at 303-690-3000, or you can text 720-336-0897. I know our lines are staying pretty full today, so if you haven't gotten through yet, please try calling again. We would love to talk with you. And uh, we were talking with Anna, Anna, I'm sorry, um, regarding hierarchies of angels and demons. Anna, are you still with us? Yes, I am. Hi. Awesome. Thanks for sticking around. Um, so I think the thing that a lot of people like to do when it comes to spiritual warfare is make it about the enemy rather than about God. And this is where I think that we can get really off base is because when we spend too much time studying the enemy, we don't spend enough time studying God and growing in our relationship with God. And we um, get to a point where we're kind of wrapped up in these things about demons. And, and I think this is possibly where this book has has come from. I, I don't know um, this author. I, I looked up the book briefly. I don't know the author or, or their theology, but I, I do know that I would not feel comfortable dividing those uh, spiritual forces into the categories that they have based off the scriptures that they're using. I think it's a stretch, mm-hmm. probably at best, okay. if that makes sense. Okay. Yes, that's why I wanted to call and get some clarification because I've never heard that before. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why I just wanted to call and see what is going on. (laughs) Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And I would say 
personally, I, I don't know the author, and so I can't speak to that. But I would say the minute that I read something like that, I would probably say, you know, maybe this isn't the book that I want to be reading when it comes to spiritual warfare. Maybe I'll look right. into something else. Um, there are, there are. That said, there are you know hierarchies of of demons and of angels. We know that it just isn't super clear in the scripture what those hierarchies are. And so when okay. we start trying to impose our own thoughts and ideas on that. Um, really we're getting outside of what the Bible actually says and we're trying to, um, what, what ends up happening is a lot of times those people will then say, well, if you're fighting this kind of demon, this is what you need to do. And if you're fighting that kind of demon, that's what you need to do. And mm. it, you know, that's not the way that we do spiritual warfare. The, the way that we do spiritual warfare is by leaning on the Holy Spirit and by drawing close to God and recognizing, you know, we talked about, um, I've talked about a couple times today, First John, chapter five, first John chapter five speaks to this very powerfully, actually. Uh, this is what it says in first John chapter five, verse four. It says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. And the world is under the sway of the wicked one under the enemy, right? And so when it's talking about overcoming the world, that includes the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so um, as believers, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory that Jesus purchased at the cross and Satan is a defeated foe. And so I think Ephesians 6 is key and it's huge and you want to put on the, the whole armor of God, but we don't need to really get into dissecting the different orders of demons and all of those things. We can just know that Satan runs when we resist him in the name of Jesus. That's what it says in James, you know, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So it doesn't matter whether I'm talking to Satan himself or whether I'm talking to some, you know, third level demon that's that's engaging in spiritual warfare the reality is um he doesn't stand a chance against my god and i don't have to fear or worry or understand even who it is that i'm talking to does that make sense mm -hmm. yes i love that thank you awesome awesome well great question and i'm glad you called in with that because you know there are definitely people out there who kind of uh put these thoughts out there and you just it's easy to just say well, okay well this is what somebody's saying maybe this is true so i think we always want to go back to the word so i think that you did really that was a great uh thought calling in today and asking about that right that book is going in the trash <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> okay all right awesome okay thank you yeah thank you for calling in all right have a great thank day you. Anna. Awesome. Well, we would love to have you call in today. You can call us at 303-690-3000 or you can text 720-336-0897. And uh, next, we are going to go to, let's see, is it Tracy? Yes. Tracy, welcome to the program. Hey, uh, Brother Nate, is that correct? Yes. Hey, nice to hear, hear from you. Uh, my question, when I was a child, I was leaving church, and one of the deacons that passed out the offering plate on the way to the car, I saw him light a cigarette, and it just kind of hit me a certain way. But my question is, as far as positions in church, uh, say all the way from the pastor all the way down to the custodian, uh, what's the biblical stance on it? one of those people like if you saw your pastor having wine at dinner somewhere or your if you saw your song leader maybe buying a six pack at the corner store what, what does the bible say about 
positions and those type of uh, substances being used by those people. Yeah, so you said it was your pastor that you saw smoking a cigarette in the parking lot? It was, was that a right? deacon. Oh, a deacon, okay. So here's the thing when it comes to those types of behaviors. I'll, I'll address smoking first. Um, does the Bible tell us that smoking is a sin? No, the Bible doesn't tell us that smoking is a sin. But I do know, uh, because I, I smoked for a long time before I really started serving and following the Lord, I know that when you smoke cigarettes, pretty much everybody that does is addicted to them, you know? <laughs> um, it's not usually something that people have one, you know, every six months or something like that. And uh, when we read in the scripture, we shouldn't be mastered by anything. And so, uh, but this could be, the same thing could be true for things like food. Um, the same thing could be true for lots of different things. Addiction is something that I would say that should not be seen in the life of a leader in the church. But as far as like whether it's okay for your church, you know, each church is going to handle that question a little bit differently, Tracy. Um, you know, there are some churches that have a very hard and fast line that if you are a leader, you are not allowed to smoke, you're not allowed to drink, you're not allowed to watch R-rated movies. I mean, the, the line gets changed depending on the church that you're at. And so I think that it, if that's a concern that you have, I would talk to your leadership at your church and just say, you know, what, what is the line for leadership in our church? Um, maybe you even approach it not from a pointing the finger uh, at that specific deacon, but just so you can know. Because if that's something that your church is saying is acceptable for, the, for a deacon to be doing uh, in their position, then the question isn't whether, you know, it's okay at your church because the, your leadership has already decided that it's okay. The question is, is that a church you want to be involved in um, if that's the standard that they hold for leadership? And that would be, you know, a question for you to examine between you and the Lord. As far as where we put those lines, that is a question that really is up to leadership at each individual church. Is there a biblical mandate against smoking cigarettes? No, there's not really. I, I would say that I wouldn't want one of my elders or pastors to be a smoker. I just wouldn't want that because I think it shows uh, weakness and it shows uh, not, not, not weakness in a good sense, like depending on Christ, but it shows uh, a lack of willpower. It shows a lack of integrity uh, before the Lord in your life. Personally, it's something that I wouldn't really want to, to see happen in my leadership team. Um, and, and then the question you brought up as far as alcohol goes, um, the, the scripture doesn't say that a, a, a leader or a pastor should not drink any wine or drink any alcohol, but it does say that a leader should not be given to wine um, and should not be given to alcohol. And so, you know, for me, I, I have a, a, a line that I don't want to be at a restaurant and have somebody see me drinking a glass of wine and then be stumbled right. by that. So for, for, my, for my perspective, I think that that's a line that I wouldn't want to cross. I would hold that with my staff as well. I mean, I wouldn't want somebody to be, you know, out, you know, sitting at the bar having a beer and then somebody from church to see them and be totally stumbled by that. And, and yeah, I, I think that what's more important in, for me. But that said, other churches that hold still biblically sound, solid doctrine hold different lines on that. And so I think that's going to be up to each individual church leadership um, 
and for you guys to figure out, for them to figure out. And then I think when you are involved in that church, you can, you can ask those questions and say, is this, is this aligned? And you might even be the one to ask your leadership, you know, is it all right for our deacons to smoke or drink or whatever it is? And they might say, well, I don't know. We haven't really thought about that or addressed that. Maybe you'll spur a conversation that they need to have anyways. I think the you way think that the I— Lord could use a person like that effectively? I think the Lord can use anybody effectively. I think that—but I, I think that when it comes to being in leadership, I don't want to be somebody that's going to possibly cause somebody else to stumble. That's just for me. That's where, that's where I don't want to— I don't want to do that. And, and I'll give you an example. When I was young and I was in my early 20s, um, I, and this is from my own life. This is my testimony. This is why I, I, I share this. I was a follower of Jesus, but, you know, I was kind of just living a little bit loosely. I wasn't involved in ministry and whatnot. But um, we had this uh, get-together that we were going to with mo- mostly believers. And this friend of mine uh, was, he was, just going through, he was going through a divorce and he was an ex-alcoholic. He'd been sober for 10 years and he was a little bit older than me, but he, um, you know, was kind of a friend and we were connecting and hanging out and he was lonely. And I invited him to go to this get together with me. And there was alcohol that was served at the get together. And he, who had been sober for 10 years, fell off the wagon that night and spiraled out of control into several years of uh, alcoholism again. Uh, as a result of my invitation to this party that I knew would have alcohol. And so for me, before I even got involved in ministry, I thought, you know what? I don't want to be that person. I don't want to deal with that. So so for me, that's that's kind of where the line draws. But again, as I said, you know, there are different standards in different churches. And so I think it's worth going to your church leadership and just not even pointing out the name of the deacon, but I think you should find out from them, is it okay for deacons and elders to be smoking or drinking or whatever that is? Ask that question just, just to know more of it for your own benefit. And then if they say, no, that's a hard and fast line we have, then I would go to that, that deacon specifically, follow Matthew chapter 18, not, not, not just tattling, you know, but go to that person and say, you know, I, I don't know if you know, but I saw that you were smoking a cigarette and I, I just didn't think that was something that we sh- that our leaders do at our church, um, and then you can address it with them directly. Yeah, well, that happened like I said when I was a child. I'm over sixty now. So. Oh, okay, that was when you were a child. I see. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, that I think was a good answer. That helped a lot. Yeah, no problem. Absolutely. You know, I think that we the the biggest thing is as leadership, we want to honor the Lord and not stumble our brothers and. There are other ways that we tend to gloss over that we can do that as well. Um, but I think those are, those are some smoking and drinking are things that are pretty easily definable when you look at it. So, right. Awesome. Well, thanks for your call, Tracy. Okay. Thank you. Bye. All right. All right. It's been a great show so far. Uh, glad you can join us and tune in. If you have a question you'd like to ask or if you'd like prayer for anything, you can call us at 303-690-3000 or you can text 720-336-0897. Once again, you can call 303-690-3000 or text 720-336-0897. Uh, I'd like to go to Rick on line two. Rick, welcome to the program. Rick, are you with us still? 
Okay, looks like we lost Rick on the way. Uh, so let's go to Tom on line three. Tom, welcome to the program. Hello. Hi, how are you doing, Tom? I'm doing well. Um, my name's Todd, actually. Oh, it's Todd. Okay. Yeah. Um, so my question is, I have a prodigal son in my family. Okay. And I'm really concerned for his well-being, obviously. And, you know, I'm kind of stuck in a place where, where do I stand my ground as a parental figure and be that positive role model to kind of be a testimony of, of Jesus in his life? And where do I, like, the other side of that line is, you know, God doesn't force himself into our lives. He wants us to want him and you know, draws us closer to him. Um, I'm kind of stuck on where to go. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, you know, this is something where you're going to have to really lean on the direction of the Holy Spirit in your specific instance. Uh, because when someone's in that spot and they've, they're kind of living as a prodigal, they've walked away and they're not following the Lord, exactly what you said, there's, there's two sides to it. One, you want to make sure that they um, are in a good spot, but two, at the same time, if you, you know, come down too hard on them, you could push them away. And so the biggest and best thing you can do, and I know this doesn't sound like it's something that you can do, but the biggest thing you can do is pray, 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 pray. Uh, and I know that that doesn't feel like doing something, but it is. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do other things. But I, 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 I think that we often put prayer as kind of the last resort. And really, it's our first and best option, our first and best ability to do anything. And so I just know in my own life, I was a, pro I was a prodigal myself through my high school years. And my mom prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for me. And I... It, it, the circumstances that brought me back to the Lord were nothing short of miraculous and really God answering my mom's prayer. And I think even of uh, since then, um, my stepdad, who was not walking with the Lord for a long time, had uh, we even had some conversations where he had felt judged by me not, without me even saying anything to him because of that. And then um, I think that what happened is just pray, 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 and God got a hold of his heart without me really even engaging in that. And it, looking back now, it's like, wow, God really moved and, and worked and brought him back in that. And so pray, 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 pray for your son. That's the biggest and that's the best thing that you can do for sure. But on top of that, I would say love him as well and uh, not holding a standard over his head because I think he probably knows the standard. Would you say that he probably knows the standard? Yeah, we definitely teach. We have five kids, so we definitely teach, you know, the gospel to our children. Yeah. Now, it, it's not that you pretend like there's not a standard. Right. That's not what I would say. But I think that sometimes when we have kids, and my, I have three children. My, my kids are younger. They're not, you know, they're, they're my oldest is in, you know, eighth grade-ish. And 
it's not you know where they've walked away and they're prodigal but when they when they tend to get off course i tend to come down hard and sometimes that's good but sometimes it's not <laughs> and so so when you know that he knows this the standard and if he's kind of walked away from from you in that sense it sounds like is he he's living with your ex-wife is that what you said yes okay yeah so i i think that he's kind of pushing back on some of that with you right now and, and i think that you keep putting the gospel before him in in whatever way you can that doesn't mean that you sit down and say this is what jesus did for you and that's that's not necessarily what i'm saying it might be but it sounds like you've done that but I think you pray for him and you love him and you come along and support him and just show him the love of Jesus. And um, just, I, I think that what it says in Proverbs, that when you train up a child when he's young, you know, that in the way he should go, that when he's old, he won't depart from it. I, I really believe that that's true in a, a vast majority of circumstances and that your son will come back. And I know it's hard right now, but I think if you could just pray and love him and continue just to uh, pour into him and think about your your role right now is not to not to be the law to your son but to be the grace of God to your son uh, because he knows the law he was he was raised up to know the truth and the standard right and not that he doesn't know the grace of God now but I think that that's where you can speak that grace into his life sure absolutely I definitely pray a lot for him and um, pray Pray for all my children. Um, the only thing to combat really is his mother is a non-believer, so you know it's uh, it's hard to communicate with him. Yeah, yeah, definitely that makes sense. Well, can I uh, pray for for you and pray for him before we go today? Yes, please. Thanks. Okay, what's your son's name? Aiden. Aiden. Okay. Lord, we just come before you right now and we lift up Aiden to you, Lord, and we know that you know um, you know exactly where he's at. You know his heart. You know what he's going through, Lord, and we know that you love him. You love him even more than Todd does, Lord, and you want to meet him and draw him to yourself and you want to speak into his life. And so I pray right now that you would get a hold of his heart, Lord. I pray that you would draw him to yourself. I pray that you would put uh, other believers in his life that would speak truth into his life as well, Lord. And I pray that you would just uh, give Todd the words that you would have him share with his son, Lord. I pray that you would speak through him. I pray that you would give him uh, just the the grace and love that comes from you, Lord, to pour out on his son. And I pray that you would bring him back, that you would bring him in. And I pray uh, over Todd, Lord, I pray that you would just bring him comfort and peace in this time, that he would be able to, to rest and trust uh, his son t into your hands, Lord, and to, to just know that you have him and that you're working. And Lord, I, I pray that you would do it soon, Lord. I pray that you would do what you need to do to get a hold of his heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for calling, Todd. Um, appreciate your call. Definitely keep praying for Aiden for sure. So we are coming up close to the end of the program. We probably got time for a couple more calls. And if you'd like to call in, you can call us at 303-690-3000, or you can text 720-336-0897. Would love to pray with you. Would love to talk about any questions you may have about the scriptures as well. So let's go to Matthew. Matthew, hey, welcome to the... Good. How are you doing? I'm good, brother. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. 
So my question is, what would be your take on prosperity and the speak it, believe it, receive it teaching? Because there's two sides to the coin on this, right? You have one side where people say, you know, that God wants everybody, all his children to prosper and to be in health and to be healed and delivered. And But then they take the extreme route perverting the word and saying that we are God when we are not God. Then you have the other side of the coin where those pastors, they say that, you know, God doesn't want everybody to prosper and that God doesn't want to heal everybody, that everybody's not going to get healed, you know. And that's not biblical at all when you look at the scriptures. So I guess my answer, my question would be like, what's your take on this and what's, what's the middle ground? Because I've only one pastor in my whole life that actually preached down doctrine down the middle where he says he wants God does want his children to prosper and to be in hope. You know, but they don't take the route of perverting the saying that we are God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for your call. That's a great question. I think your GPS might be talking to us in the background. So we might, if you don't mind, if you could turn that off, that's great. If not, we can mute you just when I'm talking and then we'll pull you back up when I ask you, when I bring you back in. But I think the, the prosperity gospel, I think there's a couple sides to this. First, the, the speak it, believe it, receive it, you know, name it and claim it is not a biblical concept. Uh, I don't see that exhibited in the scripture. And I think the, the, the way that it's been taken has gone so far in the wrong direction. And really, I think that when you, all you have to do is look at the fruit of a lot of these ministries. A lot of these guys, all they do is ask for money. And my question is, well, if you can just speak it into existence and believe it and receive it, why do you need to ask for money at all? I never ask for money at our church and God provides for all of our needs. <laughs> so why are these pastors who supposedly say that you have to, you know, pray it into existence and speak it to, to see it happen, that, that, that that's how you do it. Then they're standing up there at the end of their saying, saying, you need to give us money or else you're not going to get your stuff. I'll just tell you, I can't remember the last time I asked for money at our church. We, we accept offerings and tithes, but we don't even pass a basket at our church and God abundantly provides. Uh, now he provides as we walk by faith and trust that he will do that. So the, the other side of that coin that you mentioned is that God does desire to bless his children. I do believe that God does desire to bless his children. Sometimes that's financially, sometimes it's not, because sometimes he knows that would we receive too much financial blessing, we would not be in a good spot, just like the children of Israel walked away from God when they were blessed with abundant provision. So I think that for us to say that God wants me to always be healthy, to be wealthy, to have success in this life is a false teaching. That doesn't mean that God won't bless you. It doesn't mean that God can't heal you. I've seen God heal people miraculously. I have been healed miraculously myself. When I was an infant, I was supposed to die in the hospital. God answered prayers and I was healed, but he doesn't heal everybody. And I don't believe that that's a scriptural mandate either. In fact, Paul, um, he, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, he said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this infirmity away from me, the, the, the sickness that he was dealing with. I asked God to take it from me three times, and he said, my grace is sufficient for you. He didn't say, I'll heal you. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes God allows us to go through a sickness, a financial loss, a hardship, because he wants us to lean on his grace. 
It doesn't say that things aren't going to be hard. In fact, I think as believers, we, we are guaranteed that life will be hard. Jesus said, in this world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So I think that there's, there, there is a balance to be had in that God does bless and he does miraculously answer prayer. And he does still perform signs and wonders and miracles today, but not not in the way that we want it to be. It's the way that he wants it to be. And he doesn't heal everybody, but he does heal some people, you know, and he does miraculously heal people. Like I've said, I've seen it before. So I think that you're right in that there has been a reaction to the prosperity gospel of people being upset and saying, well, we're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. God doesn't really move like that anymore. We don't want to get there, but at the same time, I don't think that we want to be in the spot of saying, well, if you're sick, God will heal you. God doesn't always heal everybody that's sick. In fact, Paul told Timothy, uh, you know, when he was having stomach issues, he's like, you're constantly having these stomach issues. He didn't say you need to have more faith. He said you need to drink something different so that you um, don't have those stomach issues anymore. It was very practical advice. So it's kind of both. And I think when we try to break it down to a formula of, well, you just got to believe more and then you'll receive more. That's not really how it works in the scriptures. We pray and we entrust it into God's hands and we trust that he knows what's best for us. But we do want to have faith and walk by faith. Uh, I don't know if that answers your question for you. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Um, so um, do you mind if I ask something else, like all through this conversation? Uh, yeah, we're coming up on the end of the show here in just a minute, but go for it. So um, the thing about, I believe you said, Paul, about the thorn in his flesh, um, but I was taught that that wasn't about an infirmity. And um, so what would you say to where it says— um, Hey, I, I'm going to cut you off just so I have time to answer that for you because we've only got 30 seconds left. Um, I think that the context says that it is an infirmity. It's a thorn in his flesh. It's actually something in his body that's hurting and pain. Sorry to have to cut you off, but we're going to get cut off here anyways in a minute. So thank you for tuning in today, and uh, we're grateful that you could be with us. And uh, it's been a great time discussing questions. Tune in tomorrow for more on Calvary Live. God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.